the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So what was Jesus like as a boy? What can we know about Jesus' childhood? What it was like as he was growing up in those early years? Luke, um, the gospel writer, gives us the most information we have about Jesus' birth and early childhood. But after Jesus is 40 days old, we have basically no information about Jesus' childhood until he's 12 years old and comes to the temple again. Uh, Several years ago, there was a movie that came out called Boyhood, and it was filmed over 12 years, tracing the growth and development of this boy. And it was the same actor they filmed for over 12 years. You really were able to see how this child grew up uh, from little child through um, early adolescence and so on, this critical, informative time of being a boy. Jesus' childhood has been an object of fascination and speculation, but we don't have anything like the boyhood movie for Jesus' boyhood. Uh, There have been some attempts, though. Um, There are the so-called apocryphal gospels, which come later than our canonical four gospels. This um, Jesus as a boy was an object of much speculation for these gospel writers who tried to imagine uh, what Jesus was like as a boy, and they came up with some pretty bizarre things. So one example is uh, Jesus breathes life into some clay birds and they fly away. Um, he sort of goes around doing magic tricks. Uh, one episode that I particularly uh, like is that there's a kid who's getting on his nerves and Jesus pronounces a curse on him and he withers up like a dry dead tree. If only we had that kind of power, right? Uh, but these are fantastical, imaginative accounts. Um, we, we don't have, uh, in the four canonical Gospels, a lot of information, or any information at all, from Jesus' infancy until he is 12 years old. But we're led to imagine the boy Jesus, I think, in a particular way. And we see that here in this episode when Jesus, at 12 years old, comes to the temple. While we don't know much, we do here see two very important things about the boy Jesus that I want us to consider this morning. First is that the boy Jesus, he's human. He's a real human being, a real boy. But also, the boy Jesus is the son of God. He's human and he's a son of God. So at 12 years old, Jesus makes this journey to the temple in Jerusalem with his family. This was an annual pilgrimage that faithful Jews would have made at the feast of the Passover. We don't know if Jesus was making this trip every year. Perhaps 12 years old represented something like the the age of maturity, where this is when you come with a family to the temple. We don't quite know, but the fact is here Jesus is with his family at the temple, doing what other Jewish boys would have done at this time. Now, this whole episode of Jesus at the temple, Luke, the way he puts this together, he bookends this with two statements that are really, really important. The sorts of statements so that we could easily just sort of pass over, but I think tell us a good deal. Luke 2.40, And when the child Jesus grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, the favor of God was upon him. And then at the very end of this section, we have Luke 2.52, which says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. This is what Luke is telling us about the boy Jesus, Jesus' childhood. Jesus grew up. He matured just like other children, just like other boys. But in what ways? What ways did he grow up and mature? In wisdom, in stature, favor with God, 
favor with others. We have children in our midst right now who are growing up, right? And maturing in all sorts of ways. And we embrace that and we welcome that. We could say that Jesus, like anyone else, he needed to grow up intellectually. He needed to grow up physically. He needed to grow up spiritually. He needed to grow up socially. These are ways that all of us human beings need to grow. In these ways, if we're going to thrive as human beings, we need to grow in these ways. Everyone needs to develop intellectually, get understanding about the world. Everyone needs to develop physically. Our bodies develop over time. Then as we get older in age, they start to, um, uh, start to decline a bit. We need to grow up spiritually. Our relationship with God. We need to have some sense of transcendence if we're going to thrive as human beings. We need to grow up with others. We need to be socially connected if we're going to thrive. We were created to know God. We were created to know and to be in community with others. Jesus was not created. He's the eternal son of God. But he too had to grow up in these important ways to grow in his relationship with his father and to grow in his relationship with his family, with his friends, with those around him. Now, some of us might be deficient in one or more of these areas. Some people have matured intellectually. You know, they're really smart. They've got more degrees than a thermometer. Um, but socially, they might still be children. They haven't matured in that way. And you could, this, you know, might be strong in one area, weak in others. But Jesus matures in all of these ways perfectly. He is the perfect and true human being. He lives humanity in its fullest possible way. Jesus, as a baby, as a child, as an adolescent, and then as an adult, he is fully human. He grows in his understanding. We're going to see that in real time at the temple. He asks questions. Kids, we know, ask lots of questions, right? Jesus was a boy who asked lots of questions. And as he's asking questions, he learns, he gets understanding. We can be sure that Mary, and I'm sure Joseph, but certainly Mary, taught Jesus the scriptures. How do we know this? Well, think about Mary. Mary, she sang the Magnificat. Yes, this is inspired by the Holy Spirit, we believe as Christians, but she was a faithful Jewish lady who had a storehouse, a treasure of scripture in her soul, so that in that moment of inspiration, what comes out? The stories of Israel. And she sees that somehow these stories of Israel that she's singing about are being concentrated in her son. Mary was the faithful mother who taught Jesus the word of God. He learned it. I'm sure he asked her questions and as all kids do. Jesus grew and matured physically in a real body, a real body subject to all bodily realities. Now, I don't want to rain on anybody's parade. It's still Christmas season, so that's why we're still singing Christmas songs here. But some Christmas carols do a disservice uh, to us in our understanding of Jesus because they're so full of sentimentality that we start to see Jesus as something less than human. So again, I, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm ru ruining this for anyone. Maybe you remember this line. I won't name the carol. The cattle are lowing. The poor baby wakes. But little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Now come on. Parents, I remember my first night um, with Mary Grace back in June. Um, if only no crying she made, right? Jesus was a human being. He was a real baby. He was screaming his head off like all babies do. 
He comes and identifies with humanity at every point and experience of humanity. Jesus cried as a baby. He screamed his head off as a baby because that's what human babies do. Jesus hungered. He thirsted. Jesus got tired. Jesus went to the bathroom. Jesus went through puberty. He became a man. He felt pain when he stubbed his toes. One of the earliest Christian writers um, in the second century, a guy named Irenaeus, he wrote about how important it is for us to understand that Christ came not, he says, quote, despising or evading any condition of humanity, but sanctifying every age by that period corresponding to which belonged to itself. He, said, he goes on to say this, for he came to save all through means of himself. And this is what's important. He therefore passed through every age, becoming an infant for infants, thus sanctifying infants. A child for children. Children, Jesus was a child just like you. He passed through what you are going through right now. A child for children, thus sanctifying those who are of age, being at the same time made to them an example of piety, righteousness, and submission. A youth for youth, youth. Jesus Christ was a teenager. He knows what you're going through. He passed through that part of life. And he did it for you. He did it for me. Use becoming use is an example to use that's sanctifying them for the Lord. The writer to the Hebrews brings this home for us. The writer to the Hebrews says something very similar that Irenaeus is picking up on. Hebrews chapter 2, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he, Jesus himself, likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. And of course, Jesus has a human being. He dies. But he dies so that he might destroy the one who has the power of death. Jesus, here at Christmas, we need to remember this baby Jesus whom we're tempted to sentimentalize because we love babies. Babies are really cute and sentimental until you're up at 3 a.m. with a baby screaming head off, right? We need to remember that Jesus was human. Why is this important? Because he had to become human that he might deliver us, we hear human, from the curse of sin, from death. Jesus passes through childhood, every stage, as a true human for us and for our salvation. But there's something else we see here in this episode of Jesus at the temple. Luke draws our attention um, early in the gospel to the temple. The gospel writer of Luke, if you, if you read it from beginning to end, you see the temple is a really important theme for understanding the ministry of Jesus. So you begin in the temple in the gospel, and at the very end of the gospel, the last two verses of Luke, what do we see? We see the people of God praising God in the temple. The temple is very important to Luke. Right before uh, here, um, the passage we read beginning in verse 40, uh, Jesus has been to the temple before when Mary and Joseph go for the ritual of purification. And now we have this gap of 12 years and we're right back at the temple. Again, Jesus' parents are faithful Jews. They are fulfilling the law, going up to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. But Jesus, we quickly learned, he wasn't just getting dragged along. Um, parents, uh, we know sometimes it takes extra effort to get our kids ready to come to church, and it might feel like we're dragging them to church. But here we find Jesus uh, can't get enough of it. He wants to stay. So Mary and Joseph, they had completed the feast, and they had started to travel back home. They were in this large caravan of friends and family. Uh, they just assumed that Jesus was part of the entourage. They weren't negligent parents. This would have been a very normal thing. But after a full day, 
um, they realize that Jesus is not with them. Jesus is not a part of this traveling caravan. Now, they do what any parent would do in that situation. They panic. They freak out. They start going through the caravan. Have you seen Jesus? Have you seen Jesus? Where is Jesus? When was the last time you saw him? And finally, they're retracing their steps. They retrace their steps all the way back to the temple. And they find Jesus there, Luke tells us, after three days. Now, anytime you see after three days in Scripture, something important is happening. Um, it's not coincidental. The third day is a day of revelation in the Bible. It, here, this third day, it previews another third day that will happen in Luke, of course, when Jesus is raised from the dead. So they have this revelation on the third day, and it's Jesus in the temple. Now, he's sitting among the teachers. Notice he's listening. That's the first thing we hear. He's listening, and then he's asking questions. We see Jesus here. He's learning. He's soaking it all in. But he's more than a curious child, because everyone was amazed at his understanding and his answers. Here at 12 years old, and this theme will continue throughout Luke's gospel, Jesus is emerging as the temple authority. Luke wants us to see Jesus in the temple very closely connected, of course, because Jesus will come and do everything that the temple was meant to do. Jesus will become the new temple. His parents, they come up to the scene. They too were astonished at his understanding and his learning, but Mary's response is very human, very understandable. Why have you done this to us? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you, and we've been in great distress. Very understandable response. But then we have Jesus' first recorded words in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus says this, Why were you seeking me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Now here, we see something very important about Jesus' identity, just in this compact little phrase. Jesus the boy, yes, he's fully human. He also did tell us something about his growing self-understanding of his identity and his vocation as the Son of God. Mary says, your father and I. And Jesus says, let me tell you about my true father. I must be about my father's business in my father's house. He understands his true father is the father of the temple, Yahweh. Now, Jesus no doubt, he grows in this understanding of his identity. But at 12 years old, he knows that his true father is the Lord, Yahweh. And his mission is somehow connected to this temple, his father's house. Here it's interesting, we have an echo of the boy Samuel. If you know the story from the Old Testament, his mother, um, Samuel's born a bit in a kind of miraculous circumstances as well. His mother takes him to the tabernacle. He will be a mighty prophet whose first prophecy is about the destruction of the tabernacle. Jesus here is taken to the temple. And later on in the gospel, Jesus will announce a prophecy, a destruction of that very temple, because he will be the one to replace the temple. He will be the true house of God. Jesus, as a boy, goes to the temple for a Passover at age 12. There's one other Passover that Luke records in his gospel. And that comes at the end of Jesus' life. Jesus will once again go to the temple. He'll announce its forthcoming destruction. And then Jesus will celebrate a Passover. But Jesus, as the true human and the true Son of God, will give new meaning to the temple and new meaning to the Passover. Because he'll be the Passover lamb who dies for our sins. And he'll be the new temple, the place where heaven and earth meet. Let's consider a couple of implications as we close. 
Jesus' parents thought Jesus was with them, but they realized they had lost Jesus. They searched for him, and when they found him, they were surprised at where he was and what he was doing. But they didn't fully understand all of the implications. But Mary, Mary's character is so important because she sticks by Jesus even when she doesn't fully understand. Yes, she's had the Annunciation. She's the one who sang the Magnificat. But still, she's a mother. She doesn't want to lose her child, and she doesn't quite understand everything that's going on with Jesus. But she stays with Jesus. She sticks by Jesus. Uh, the first thing I want, to, want us to see here, a couple of implications to close, is the importance of seeking Jesus. Seeking Jesus is really an important theme in the Gospels. In John, the Gospel of John 1, it's interesting, um, Jesus' first words recorded in John 1 are, What are you seeking? His first words in Luke chapter 2 um, in Luke's gospel are, um, why are you seeking me? There's something about seeking Jesus that is very important to the gospels. Mary and Joseph thought they knew Jesus. They did. He was their child. But there came a moment when he was lost to them. They didn't understand. They were separated from him. Now, maybe you're in a dry spell right now spiritually. You can remember times when it felt like Jesus was with you and you were with Jesus, y'all were together. But just simply caught up in the mundane routines of life, you've gone about your business, there's things you've got to take care of, there's life to be lived, time has passed, and right now you feel the absence of Jesus in your life. What should you do? What do you do if you feel the absence of Jesus in your life? You should do what Mary and Joseph did. They moved heaven and earth at that point to go hunting for Jesus. They were going to hunt Jesus down until they found him. You think they were going to give up after a couple of days? No. Everything they had was zeroed in on finding Jesus. They diligently seek after him. When you are spiritually in a rut, I've been there. One of the temptations is just to keep doing the same thing and hope that things somehow miraculously will just change for you. Now, we don't earn our salvation by our effort. Absolutely not. It's a full gift of grace through and through. But we should, in these seasons of dryness, in these seasons of struggle, there is something about putting forth some effort, making a move towards Jesus, drawing near, as it were. Here at the new year, wherever you may be in relationship to Jesus, it's a great time to commit to seeking after him, where he may be found. Don't just keep doing the same thing. Don't just keep doing nothing if you feel spiritually dry. It was necessary, Jesus told us, told his parents, to be in the temple about his father's business. Um, with us, Jesus promises to show up in certain places. Jesus promises to meet us in certain places. I think it was Martin Luther who described the sacraments as the trysting places of God. It's a pretty evocative image there. Jesus promises to meet us in certain places. So will you go to those places where he's promised to meet us? What are those places? Well, worship, word, and sacrament. Sure, Jesus can meet us in other places, but these are places where he's promised to be present, where he's promised to show up. Committing yourself to corporate worship. In the presence of two or three or more other Christians where Jesus says, I will be there in your midst. 
committing yourself to engaging the Word of God as a discipline, as a routine in your life. No, you may not always feel the presence of Jesus while you're reading Scripture, but if you commit to this discipline, if you give yourself to being under and submitting to the Word of God, Jesus will be present with you. He will come to you. He will speak to you and meet you through His Word. Jesus promises to be present in the sacrament of Holy Communion. This isn't just something that we do because it's nice and we like the ritual and the rigmarole of it all. No, we do this because this is how we receive again and again the gospel. This is how we receive our Lord Jesus Christ's presence. So will you recommit, wherever you are, will you recommit at the beginning of this new year to hunt Jesus down, to seek him out where he promises to be found, in worship, in his word, and in the sacrament, seeking after Jesus, following Mary as an example. The last thing I want us to consider is there's a journey in understanding Jesus. I'm struck by Mary's relationship to her son and her Lord. She knows Jesus is unique. Again, the Annunciation, the Magnificat, all of that. But she's a real mom. She gets frustrated with Jesus. She doesn't fully understand what he's up to. But she doesn't let her lack of understanding overwhelm her faith. What do I mean by this? Uh, so, on the one hand, Luke tells us Jesus' parents, they did not understand. But on the other hand, Mary treasured up these things in her heart. She pondered these things in her heart. This is the second time, by the way, this has happened in Luke's gospel. After the shepherds come and tell her what they've seen and heard, she pondered these things in her heart. It's the exact same phrase here. It, she, she doesn't understand what Jesus is in the temple, but she's keeping these things treasured in her heart. Mary takes it all in. By faith, even if she doesn't fully understand. See, Mary has a faith that is centered on Jesus, that seeks greater understanding. She ultimately trusts Jesus even if she can't understand what he's up to. And it's the same for us. We're called to do the same. We're called to ultimately trust Jesus even when we can't understand what he's up to in our lives. But we seek, by faith, greater understanding. I don't know about you, but I have lots of unresolved questions. Why do we live in a world where children suffer? How do we reconcile questions of science with theology, for example? I don't know the answer to all these questions. But to be a Christian is not to understand everything perfectly and then have faith. To be a Christian is to be someone who's committed first to faith, a faith that seeks greater understanding. We'll never understand perfectly. In fact, to be a Christian often means that the world becomes even more mysterious. And we have to, even there, be committed to trusting Jesus by faith. Our epistle lesson reminds us, in Him, all things are being summed up. In Jesus, all things are being put together again for the glory of God. And it doesn't always look like that, does it? But we're called to trust this by faith, in a faith that seeks greater understanding of this reality. So here at the end of this Christmas tide, let's renew our commitment to seek after Jesus, the fully human child who is the Son of God, that we might grow in our understanding of him. Let's pray. Almighty God, you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to pass through every stage and experience human life for us 
and for our salvation. Following him, help us to grow in wisdom, stature, and favor with you and with others, who with the Son and the Holy Spirit reigns forever.